Jesus, we love you. We love you, God. We love you, Lord. Oh, God, we bless your name. Father God, we just thank you that you're here right now. Lord God, even if we go through the fire, Lord God, that you are right there and that we are alive, Lord God, in you, that we have the breath of God. So, Father God, we do breathe you in this morning. Father God, we do want to see your glory this morning. Lord, they're not just songs that we sing, Father God. They're not words that we say, Father. But we do want to see your glory this morning, Lord. Holy Spirit, we just say, come. Holy Spirit, come. Rest on us, Lord God. Holy Spirit, rest on us like the dew rested, Father God, on the land. Rest on us today. Rest on us this morning, mighty God. We love you, Lord. We crave your presence, Father. Our heart pants for that touch from heaven. And we know you're here. Good morning, church. You can be seated. Isn't God awesome? Let's praise Him just one more time. Let's bless Him. Our God is magnificent. I love our God. Well, how is everyone this morning? What a wonderful morning. Well, we're going to continue. Thank you, band. Let's thank the band. Aren't they amazing? Don't they open heaven for us? Thank you, Lord. So this week's topic is Trials of Faith, and it's a part of the faith series that we're doing for this month. And Trials of Faith, kind of interesting, trials and faith in the same sentence. But trials are unavoidable in the Christian life, and I think we need to make that very clear, that God is not Santa Claus and he's not there just to just give us everything that we ask for. God is so much deeper than that. And the Bible says in John 16, 33, these words are said, Jesus says them, these things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. And Jesus was talking to his disciples before, he was trying to prepare them for his death. He was trying to explain to them what what the things were that were going to happen and that he was going to be leaving them. He was preparing them for the Christian life without his physical body being there. And he said to them, in this world, you will have tribulation. But who knows that it does not end there. The verse does not end there. Who knows that the story does not end there, that God knows the end from the beginning. And I want to declare this morning, I want to declare the words of Jesus this morning. I want to declare the words of Christ over every trial, over every circumstance, over every disease, over every addiction, over every marriage, over every child, over every single thing that would cause grief or pain or tribulation. I want to declare the words of Jesus over that right now this morning. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. And we sang that this morning. In him we have overcome. I have overcome the world. Because he's telling you the end when the end wasn't even there yet. He was telling us the end from the beginning. He was telling us, you're going to have tribulation, but the end is, I have already overcome the world. And he hadn't even died yet. 
So we need to grasp that. The story is finished. And the purpose of trials in our lives is, is not to punish us. God is not a God of wrath that is sitting up in heaven, in the Colosseum of heaven, watching how much he can put on us and watching us strive and struggle and how much pain we can take until we die. That is not God. That is not God's heart for us. If it was, he would not have sent his son to save us. But some people, and I've heard, think that that's what God does. God is punishing me. That is not God's heart. And we need to understand that as long as we live in a world where evil and good coexist, there is going to be trials. Because the enemy does not want to see us flourish. The enemy would like to um, help us to lose our way. He would like us to get off track. It would suit him quite fine. But God is there and God is telling us, I'm telling you the end from the beginning. 1 Peter 4.12 tells us not to be surprised. It says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trials which is to try you as though some strange thing had happened to you. It's not strange. He already told us the end. And God in his mighty power gives trials great purposes in our lives. And only God can do that. Only God can turn something horrible into something good for us. And I believe God uses trials to reveal the strength of our faith, to expose the contents, what is on the inside of us. And he does that not for his benefit, because we know that God is omniscient. He knows everything. He's all-knowing. He knows what's in the heart of man. It's not for his sake that he does that, but it's for our sake that he does that because sometimes we don't really know what state that we are in. And these things come. And Jesus said in John 2.24, Jesus knew the heart of man. He said, sorry, it says in John 2.24, but Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men and had no need that anyone should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. So God already knows what's in man. But man sometimes and often does not know what is in himself. And God wants us to really know what's in our hearts. How much faith do we really have? Are we going to love God even if we don't have a job? Are we going to trust God even when we are in and out of a hospital? Are we going to believe in God while we wait for that child to come, even though we've been trying for 10 years? Because if we can't stay faithful to God when our circumstances are difficult, how are we going to stay faithful to our husband or our wife when things get tough? If we can't stay faithful to God when our kids are wayward, how are we going to stay faithful enough to pray them back into the kingdom? If we can't stay faithful to God when the heat is turned right up, then where's the gold that talks about in the Bible? You see, when the potter puts that clay on that wheel and spins that clay and he gets the water in his hands and then he puts his hand, he puts that pressure on that clay to try and shape it. And he puts his hands, one on the inside, pressing and one on the outside pressing and pulling and pushing and moulding. There's pressure on that clay. There is pressure. The potter is making that vessel. And he's applying pressure where it needs to be. And he has to put the pressure on there because there are certain vessels for certain things. So if he's making a vessel for anointing, it needs to be wider and then it needs to come back in. 
So he needs to pull it and push it and bring it back up. If there is a vessel for bread, for the holy bread, he's got to pull it out and make it wide. He's got to press it. And it hurts sometimes when God does that. He needs to put it in the fire because the pot needs to be strong and durable and the fire burns away the unwanted stuff that's found in the clay. And it's the fire that helps to complete the masterpiece to make it useful for what God made it to do. And I was reading on the purpose of the, the, you know, firing pottery. I remember doing it at school, although I wasn't very good at it. I could never press hard enough. (laughs) I guess that's a God thing. But I, I remember we used to put it in the kiln and see what happens. Some, some of them just exploded. But this is what it says. This is, I was reading up on why things get put in the kiln and what actually happens because I just couldn't remember what it was like in school. It's so long ago. But it says this, firing converts ceramic work from weak clay into a strong, durable, crystalline, glass-like form. Ceramic work is typically fired twice. The bisque fired and then glaze fired. The goal of bisque firing is to convert greenware to a durable, semi-vitrified, porous stage, very technical, where it can be safely handled during the glazing and the decorating process. It also burns out carbonaceous materials, organic materials in the clay, paper, etc. As the temperature in a kiln rises, many changes take place in the clay. And I believe that's exactly what the potter does with us vessels. And God is making us strong enough so that he can decorate us. And he looks at how beautiful we are. And for that glaze to stay on, it's got to go back in the fire. And he puts us back in that fire. And then he pulls the pot out and he says, oh, it's so beautiful, but it could have a little bit more. I could, I could make it even more ornate. I'm going to add patience to this. And then he puts it back in the fire. Then he pulls it out and he says, oh, it's beautiful, you know, but I can do a little bit. I'm going to add character to this pot. So he paints character all over the pot and then he sticks it back in the fire. And that's the story of how the potter works with the clay. And I love what it says. As the temperature rises in the kiln, many changes take place in the vessel. And that's not unfamiliar. That's what happens to us. How strong is our faith? 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7 says this. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tested by fire, may be found to praise, honour and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ is revealed, all that is going to praise and worship and glorify him. What we have been through is there to worship and glorify him in what he has done in us. You know, I I mean, I've got so many stories about trials in my life. I feel like, you know, I'm in and out of that kiln all the time, in and out, I cool off and then I'm back in again. And I remember... You know, one time when I got that dreaded phone call, and I know I've shared this before, but, you know, when I got the dreaded phone call, Mick's in the hospital, he's been taken by ambulance. And, you know, inside, I've, I just collapsed. I could feel inside my, my heart, I just collapsed. And I was sitting with, God bless Nat. Nat came over and, 
um, sat with me. Um, we talked a little bit. Cleo was a tiny baby. She was so beautiful. She kind of gave me hope just looking at this little baby. And we talked. And then I remember thinking, my heart feels like a reed just shaking in the wind. That's what it felt like. And I, I remember saying to Nat, I don't know, even know what to say, Nat. I said, all I can say is, it is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. Whatever happens, it is well with my soul. But even though my heart felt just so thin and flaky, I could feel that strength. I could feel God's strength with me. I could feel that I was in the fire, but the potter was there. He was there. He was helping me. I didn't know where it came from, but I, all I could say is that was the faith that I had for that time. I had that faith for that time. And you know what? I would not have had enough faith to go through that trial if it wasn't for the trial before that. And during that trial, God was preparing me for the trial that was going to come after that. And so every trial is leading you higher, deeper, hotter. One thing leads to the other. And trials strengthen our faith. I realized that I did have faith at that moment, for that moment. But there were times when I was going to need more faith for the next thing. Trials strengthen our faith and they produce patience. James 1, 3 to 5. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Now, I thought this was very strange. Verses 3 and 4 are talking about your faith and patience. Verses 5 just goes on, on another. It's so random. And I thought, well, should that be another chapter? But no. Those verses actually do connect. So if I could paraphrase that, let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete and lacking nothing. Then it says, if you lack wisdom. So if there's a connection between patience and wisdom. Get wisdom and be patient, if I could paraphrase that. Because they're both connected, those verses. There's, not, there's no disconnect. You need to get wisdom and get patience. And God, in his mighty power, is using whatever he can to get that patience, to make us perfect. It's amazing that it says to make us perfect. And I think you need wisdom. If you can't understand the verse, ask God to get wisdom so that we can understand what he's saying. And many times in a long trial, we, we think, you know, that we may not ever get out of that trial. There have been trials I've thought, gosh, how long is this going to go for? But God knows the end from the beginning. Sometimes we can lose our patience and have doubts. And God knows many times I have had many, many doubts but some of the greatest Bible heroes had doubts, but they still had their faith. They had doubts, but they still kept their faith. And I want to read Daniel 3, 16 to 18. Actually, I'll pick it up in 17. It's about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And here they are not bowing down to this idol, and they get put before the king. And he says, why are you not doing this? I'm going to put you in the fire. And then this is what they said, if, if, if that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, isn't that amazing that that's what he chose to do with them, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, there's the doubt, but if not, 
Let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. In other words, we are going to be obedient to God and he will save us. But even if he doesn't, we're not going to lose faith. Even if he doesn't, we're going to keep our faith. Even if whatever happens, we don't care, we are always going to be faithful to God. We're going to keep our faith. Even if we doubt, we're going to keep our faith. They didn't know the end of the story. They had no guarantee that that's what was going to happen, except for their faith. They kept their faith. And Job, not very different. Everybody came against him. You know, I guess he could say, God's come against me. All this stuff is happening. And he was condemned by his friends. And his wife said, curse God and die. And he, you know what? He didn't lose faith. He kept the faith. He said, he, he said even, if he, even if I die, even if he slay me, I will keep the faith. I will not deny him. He kept the faith. He had the doubt, but he kept the faith. I, had a, I have a friend who um, uh, has this little baby, had this little baby 11 years ago, and it's her third child, a little boy. And, you know, when he was a tiny newborn baby, they couldn't really tell anything. But as, as a couple of months went on, they realised that there's something really wrong with this baby. And he's 11 years old now, and he's in a wheelchair. He can't eat for himself. He can't do anything. He has probably 10 seizures a day. And... I thought, I, you know, I ring her every now and then. And I, one day I thought, I'm go, you know, I should ring her and see how she's doing. I said, how are you? How are you going? How's your boy? And I said these words. I said, gee, it must be tough. Do you know what? I learned something from her that day. She said, oh, no, it's not tough. God's with me. God's got it. It's all good. He's amazing. God's with us. I love my son. He brings us so much joy. In my own physical brain, I'm thinking, what potential that's gone, that boy will never get married, that boy will never grow up and have a family, he'll never work, he'll never go to university, he'll never do the things, I'm looking at the loss, but she said, no, we're so privileged to have this boy in our family, we love that boy, you know, he's, he's a blessing, he's amazing, and this faith just rose up, this faith, she taught me about faith, that trial was going to be the rest of her life, and she taught me about faith, I want that kind of faith, that it doesn't matter how the storm blows, I'm unshakable, I'm immovable, I want that kind of faith. And I think about our friends that are coming from other nations right now. They're just like Abraham, leaving everything that they're used to, everything that they know, their homes, their families, their lands, everything, their jobs, leaving everything and coming out here, not knowing what to expect, not knowing the end, having to trust what they don't know. But it's just like Abraham. You know, they've been told that there is a land that I'm going to give you, a land of milk and honey, and they're coming out here to raise their families. They want an inheritance for their children. It takes faith to get through something like that. But Abraham, what an amazing, faithful man. Genesis 15 says this, And he believed in the Lord, and God, he, God, accounted it to him as righteousness. Your faith puts you in credit with God. And Abraham was not righteous within himself. We know that he had weaknesses and, and, and he, he made some mistakes. But the Bible says Abraham believed and it was accounted to him, accounted to him. Now that's financial talk, accounted to him, that God deposited in Abraham's account righteousness because of his faith. I know a lot about withdrawals. I'm not good at depositing. I'm very good at withdrawing. But our God, 
our God deposits things in our, finan our heavenly financial account on our behalf because of our faith. It's amazing. Faith is the currency of heaven. Faith is the currency of heaven. And when the Bible says, make for yourselves treasures in heaven, faith is one of those treasures. Faith is one of those things. And I love Abraham's faith. God asked him to take his son, his one and only son, the one of promise. I know he had another son, but this was the promised one. This is the one he had waited for till he was so old. This was the miracle child. This was his most precious possession in the whole world, this boy. And God said to him, take this child. I want to prove your faith. And he said to him, lay him on the altar and give him to me. And sometimes God is going to ask us to lay something down. Do we trust him to do that? It might be really valuable to us. Are we going to lay that thing down? Are we going to do what God says to do? Do we trust him? Do we love him more than we love anything else in our life? God is trying to find out for our sake. He's trying to reveal our faith to us. And the beautiful thing about that story is that while Abraham had his son on, on the altar, on, on, ready to, to, to burn him, he was tying him up. While he was doing that, on the other side of the mountain, the ram was climbing up. On the other side of the mountain. And from what I understand, rams don't climb mountains. But when God says they do, they do. Goats actually climb mountains. But God was preparing that ram for Abraham. And... I've lost my spot now. <laughs> and that's what happened. And this is what it says. Sorry, I'm just going to say that God had that ram behind him. And what happened was he heard a noise and he looked back. So sometimes when God has his, is preparing something, it's in the background. You can't see it. You don't know that it's there. But Abraham trusted God and he, didn't, he still was wrapping this boy up. And while he was doing that, he heard a sound. And I just want to stop there and tell you a story about us. God knows the end from the beginning. Mick and I, when the kids were really little, I think Brad was about nine years old, we decided that, you know, we wanted to leave our family home and we bought this property. And this property had um, 1,800 square metres and the idea was that we were going to renovate the house, we were going to subdivide the land, build a house at the back so that we would get ahead in life. And the kids were really young and, it, and we had lived in this house all our married life. It was 16 years then. We had lived in this old, uh, older house. But I loved that house and it was very hard for me to lay that down. It was really hard because in the kids' bedroom on the walls, I had all the markings as they were growing up, you know, and it was really difficult. I wanted to cut that wall out and put it on the truck and take that wall with me because for me it was really sentimental. It was really precious. It was very hard to lay that down. Anyway, we moved into that house and we said to the kids that we're going to do all of this and we're going to end up getting our forever house. So we were working towards getting our forever house. And it was a long, tedious journey for a while. It was a trial of packing up and moving. We moved eight times between that year and Brad, and Brad turning 19. Over those 10 years, we, we moved eight times. And one year, it happened three times that we had to move. And I remember saying to Mick, if I have to move one more time, 
you're moving to your mother's. All I remember is packing up all the time, packing, packing these boxes. I got, I was so, I had this phobia of getting rid of any boxes because I thought I'm just going to have to pack again. So I would never give away the boxes. They just became like, I can't give away any boxes. Do you know, I can run a removalist company with my experience. I could do a removalist school training if anybody, if anyone's interested. I'm just, I'm so good at packing. And when we finally went through the whole rigmarole and we were looking for our forever house, then came the next trial. And so we started to look for these properties and I wanted to buy this house and it was our forever house. And we kept saying to the kids, we're going to get our forever house. And it was 10 years down the track. And these poor kids, they, they kind of looked at me and thought, this, I don't know what mum's thinking. And anyway, it was time to look for this forever house. And so we went to the real estate in January 2012. We saw this one house. And I said to Mick, Mick, let's make an offer on this. This is a good house. This is, this is a really good house. I can see potential. We can renovate. We can... And he said, okay, let's make an offer. So we went to the real estate agent. We, we made an offer and they declined. They, they rejected the offer. And we thought, oh, no, we thought that was it. So then we just waited. That was January. In April, the same house went back on the market with a different real estate agent. And we thought, okay... Let's make another offer with a new real estate agent. So we did that. We made another offer. And they came back and they said, sorry, your offer's not high enough. And we thought, well, that's all we can afford, really. Come on, it's been on the market for six months and nobody wants the house. And so we waited. This was, a this was April. And then in August, the house went back on the market again with a third agent. And so we went and we, we topped up the, the bid by a couple of thousand. It was hardly anything. And they knew who we were. We made an offer and finally, finally, they accepted the offer and we ended up settling in September. But it was a long and tedious journey. I did not know the end from the beginning. I didn't know that, but the house was ours in September. And you know that ram that was waiting on the other side of the mountain for Abraham? Do you know it was stuck? The Bible says, I just want to read to you what it says. Genesis 22:13. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. So God provided the offering. God provided that offering, and there was nothing that was going to take it away. God had that ram by the horns. It was not going to go anywhere. And sometimes we think that we're going to miss out if we lay something down. I thought maybe we might miss out on the house. But there is nothing on earth that is going to stop God's provision in our life. Nothing will take that away. He's got it by its horns. Three real estates later, we got our house because nobody was going to take away our provision. God said it was ours. It's written because God knew the end from the beginning. That was our provision. Nobody was going to take it away from us. And sometimes we need to learn to have that kind of patience. Trials can be long. And I used to ask Mick why a hundred times. And I think God wanted to show me that time. Are you really going to send your husband to his mother's? <laughs> but the end came and he's still at home. <laughs> but can I just say some days were, the faith was so much stronger than other days. On moving day, the days that we had to move, it wasn't really good that day. You didn't want to be around me that day. 
But God was there and God was building. God wanted my attitude to change and he used to put me in the fire. I think I've got it now. You know, sometimes in our humanity we can ask a lot of questions and we can ask why. And in many trials I have asked God why, not even expecting an answer. But I was reminded that Jesus himself, you know, when he was hanging on that cross, he who knew the end from the beginning, he said to his father, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why, why? He knew. But in his humanity, in his humanity, he cried out, not because he wanted to really know, because he already knew, but he just cried through the trial, through the pain, through the suffering. But he did go through it. His faith kept him to the end. He kept on going. He got through the trial and at the end he said, it is finished. And he rose again and he's seated at the right hand of the Father. And let's just give him honour for that. We're going to get through it. God is building our faith through every trial. We are going to get through it. We're going to get out of the fire. T.D. Jake says these lovely things, this lovely verse, this quote that I read from him, and I just thought it was just amazing that we have a Christian life and we expect everything to be wonderful, but sometimes we go through the trial for the sake of our faith. It's, he says this, You will never know you have faith until you are in a good fight. Real faith is proven in the furnace of affliction. And sometimes we learn more about ourselves during that time, during the trial. And God wants us to know. He wants to strengthen us. He wants to perfect us. And he wants to use us to do bigger and better and greater things. So through the trials, let's hang on to our faith. Let's be like Abraham. Let's know that in the background somewhere, God is doing something. There is a way out for us because he knows the end from the beginning. And this morning, I believe God wants to strengthen our faith. I believe he wants us to know that he is with us right there in the fire, that he hasn't left us, he has not forsaken us. Psalm 23, verse 4 says this, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. He's right there with us, church. And right now, as the band starts to play, I think there are people that maybe feel like they're going, just coming into a trial. And there are people that are probably right in the heat of it right now. They might be in the furnace right now. Maybe there are people that are just trying, just almost out of that trial. And I really want to pray for people this morning. I really want to pray for people this morning. I want to ask the team to come up. So I want you to come out right now. I want everybody to stand. And I want us to come up to the altar of God. Put yourself on that altar. Put yourself on the altar of God and just say, God, whatever it is you're doing, I know that you know the end from the beginning. And I know that you are with me. And I know there is nothing that you would give me to go through that you haven't been through. That is not, that's something that I can't handle. He will never give you more than you can handle, but He's moulding and shaping and growing and stretching us. He's making us strong. So I'm just going to put out this invitation. Come up the front and we're going to pray for you. The team's going to pray as we just sing this song.
Empty-handed 